Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Hello there, everyone. My name is Michael Rogers, and I am grateful to Jesse for letting this train wreck back on the podcast. Uh, and today, have a not an easy topic to talk about. It's not easy for a lot of different reasons. And I'll let you imagine why, given that the topic for today will be hypocrisy in the church. There are a lot of different ways the world criticizes Christianity. Like some people will attack the coexistence of God and evil, kind of like we, what we talked about last time I was on here with Job. You might attack the authority of the Bible, but I think that perhaps one of the most challenging criticisms to deal with is the charge of hypocrisy in our churches. All criticisms that have to deal with practical matters are just more difficult to deal with than all theoretical criticisms. Because you can intellectually debate paradoxes or contradictions or historicity of events, but none of that is in the real world. That's all all in the text and pages of scripture. You can argue and defend theology, but you cannot defend hypocrisy. You can't defend a Christian that talks about love and grace in one breath and then gossips about their neighbor in the next. You can't defend the Christian who complains about everything while the Bible commands Christians to do all things without complaining. Maybe maybe more pertinent is you cannot defend a church's multi-million dollar worship production when they come back around and say it's not about us, it's, not, it's about Jesus. Can't you just can't defend Christians affirming truth one moment and lying the next. Or when big when big names, quote unquote celebrity Christians are found out, when they're found out that they're having an affair or swindling money or manipulating the congregation or whatever, you can't defend that. Whatever Christians do, the exact same things they say are sinful and evil, the exact same things they tell everyone else not to do, you can't defend that with an intellectual exercise. It's not a theological debate. These Christians were behaving hypocritically. And you might have some occasions when Christians are are unfairly charged with hypocrisy, like when someone says a Christian is unloving and hateful for saying something is sinful. But I'm not talking about that. I am talking about every case where a Christian does anything a lot of times everything, to appear righteous, to appear good, to look like their lives are pleasing to God, but in reality, their lives, or at least certain parts of it, do not. When Christians do something that does not line up with what they say they believe or what the Bible teaches, perhaps the worst result of Christian hypocrisy is the dishonor it does to God's name. It tarnishes God's reputation. 
we Christians who claim to follow Christ, who claim to love him, who claim Christ transformed us from the inside out, when we perform hypocritically, what does that say about Jesus? When 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, what kind of representation is that? And I, and I need to belabor this point a little bit because a lot of times, especially when Christians get all gung-ho about God's sovereignty or his power, God's independence, Christians saying that, oh, God, don't, God doesn't need us to help his reputation. God doesn't need us to give him glory. And technically, theologically, that is correct. But let me read Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you, instru- because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you, that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law of you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. God's name is blasphemed because of hypocrisy. The Bible does not let you use God's sovereignty to whitewash sin. When non-believers see Christian hypocrisy, God does not sovereignly administer amnesia so the guy doesn't dishonor God. So as I go forward, there are a few objectives I want to accomplish here. I want to honestly briefly examine what God's word says about hypocrisy. And I want to explain why we see hypocrisy in the church most of the time. And I want, to, I want to see how Christians are supposed to respond to hypocrisy. Now, in the Bible, the, the English word hypocrisy is only used in the New Testament and only six times at that. The word hypocrite is used once in the Old Testament and 16 times in the New Testament. Though I should point out that hypocrisy is conceptually referred to many times, even though the word itself is not mentioned just as we saw from the Romans 2 passage I read a second ago. When hypocrisy is mentioned specifically, the Bible is not kind to it. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, hypocrisy takes front and center starting in Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 5, it says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And jumping back to verse 1, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Though hypocrisy is not mentioned in this next verse, it carries a similar sentiment to Jesus' words here. Colossians three twenty-two and 23 says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Doing things with the right motives is supposed to be an integral part of Christian behavior. Never are Christians supposed to do anything in order to make themselves look better in the eyes of people, but whatever we do, we are to do it to glorify God, not ourselves. After Jesus warns against hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount, he always goes on to say, instead of showing off your quote-unquote good deeds, you should do them in secret. But nowhere in the Bible are there harsher words against hypocrites than Jesus' lengthy indictment of Israel's religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23. I encourage you to read the whole thing, but for the sake of time, I will only read about half of it, starting in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monument and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Hypocrisy is already an egregious evil. Religious hypocrisy is another matter entirely. Jesus calls them snakes, tombs, outwardly beautiful, I guess, but inwardly full of dead, rotting bones, full of greed. How are you, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell, he said. Though claiming to have fellowship with God, they are godless. 1 John 1.6 says, If we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Perhaps the reason God does not mention hypocrisy by name in the Bible very often is because of how ruthlessly he attacks it the times he does. And I suppose many questions might arise from these passages. And the one I'm going to ask and answer for you is why are so many Christians hypocrites then? The Bible commands Christians not to be hypocrites, yet hypocrites we often are. There are two answers I will give. One, Christians behave hypocritically, behave hypocritically because of false repentance. Christians are supposed to be repentant. One of the first commands Jesus ever gave was to repent and believe in the gospel. 
Repentance biblically simply means to turn turn from the way you're walking, the way you're living your life, and moving in the opposite direction, moving the way God wants you to move and live your life. Good example of repentance can be found in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah was a prophet of Israel, and God sent him to Nineveh with a simple message. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now reading chapter 3, starting verse 6, it says, Now the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned away from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The Ninevites turned from their evil, sinful lifestyle. They repented. A New Testament example can be found in Luke chapter 19, where you have Zacchaeus, a tax collector, and after meeting Jesus, he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Now something you have to understand about the tax collectors of Jesus' day is that tax collectors were extortioners, collecting far more money than what was required by law for themselves. But Zacchaeus, who is described as a chief chief tax collector at the start of the story, Zacchaeus, after meeting Jesus, repents of his sin, and instead of stealing money, he gives it away and writes his wrongs. These are two good examples of repentance. The problem is, repentance can be faked. Repentance can be falsified. Pastor and theologian Dr. Sinclair Ferguson rightly notes that, quote, repentance is not limited to the act of the moment, but develops into a permanent lifestyle, end quote. False repentance might then be identified by its longevity. False repentance is only momentary. The turning from evil only lasts a brief moment and then is gone. I think there is a good parallel in Jesus' condemnation of hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount that we talked about earlier. Matthew 6, 5 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Why are they praying? Not because they love God, not because they're repenting of wickedness like the Ninevites. They're praying out in the open for all to see, for everyone to look at them and go, Wow, I wish I were that spiritual. I wish I could pray like that. But inwardly, they're full of rottenness. They're cleaning the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of evil. False repentance is like the crowds in Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is outside the city proclaiming and baptizing people with a baptism of repentance. But when the crowds were coming out to him to be baptized, he said in chapter 3 verse 7, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. The people were out there making a show of repentance, wanting to be baptized and be saved, but there is no inner change. They bore no fruit. There's no genuine repentance. They're just hypocrites. And there are many in Christian churches 
who are like this. There are many hypocrites in the church who are only there for the show of it. Show up to church, sing the songs, maybe do some hand raising to really get into the worship, maybe even cry a little, go to extra Bible studies, go to fellowship groups, go for it at the altar to rededicate themselves to Christ again. All for what? There might be different reasons to make a show, either to themselves or even to others, to make themselves seem holy and righteous in their eyes, in the eyes of everyone else. They lie to themselves and everybody in the church. And it is a lie if there's no inner change, if there's no true repentance, true repentance. And eventually, they slip up. Their hypocrisy is found out, even if they don't recognize it as hypocrisy. But it gets found out, there's a big scandal. And that is the first reason why you find hypocrites in the church. You have people in the church that were never born again. They were never transformed from the inside out by God. Because being born again is what it means to be a Christian. In John chapter 3, a Pharisee, a religious ruler, like the one that Jesus lambasted in Matthew 23, he comes to Jesus secretly, and Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Later, he says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. At salvation, a person is made new. They are born again. They are a new person. This never happens in our first example of hypocrisy. They never became a new person. They were never born again. For one reason or another, they're in the church pretending to be a Christian, maybe to convince themselves of their own salvation or to convince other people that they're a good person. But whatever the reason, they're there in the church, pretending to be a Christian. So why do Christians behave hypocritically? Number one, because of false repentance. Number two, because of the remnant of our sin nature. Orthodox Christian doctrine teaches that all humanity possesses a sin nature, and every part of the human constitution is corrupted. The body, the mind, the soul, all of it is corrupted. Jesus said that, quote, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slender, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person, end quote. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Now, when a person is saved, when a person is born again, they are changed inwardly. They are changed spiritually. To borrow Jesus' analogy, the inside of the cup is cleaned. Happening at the same time as this is genuine repentance. Now the problem is that while the inner person is made new, our physical bodies are not. We are made new, but our bodies are still corrupted by sin. This is why Paul in Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. There is an inner war within every Christian between the old, the old self, and the new self. In Romans 7, Paul talks at length about the war within himself. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. 
For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a new law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That is the second reason Christians behave hypocritically. Despite the best of intentions, despite being made new, despite genuine repentance, sometimes, or even a lot of times, Christians fail. So much could be said about how enticing, aggressive, tempting, and pervasive sin is, but there's no time for that. There's no time for that in this episode. But Paul calls it a law, calls it a given, that when Christians want to do the right thing, evil is right there with them. So there you have two big, fairly broad reasons why you'll find hypocrisy in the church. One, false repentance. Two, sin nature. Next, I will briefly, in the time we have left, briefly lay out the three ways to respond to not just hypocrisy, but reasonably sin in general. Number one, repent. Should almost go without saying that if you're behaving hypocritically, you need to repent. Regardless of the reason for hypocrisy, you must repent. If you've never truly repented, you need to repent. If you need to repent again, repent again. You must, as 1 Peter 2.1 says, put it away. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Put away hypocrisy along with all the other sins that accompany it. Accompany it. Think about it. What other evils are you committing in order to preserve your hypocrisy? Are you lying to people? Are you envying the righteousness that other people have but you don't? Are you slandering people to put them down? Are you hating people because they know? You must repent. You must put it all away. Put away falsehood like it says in Ephesians 4.25. Put it all away. If hypocrisy is putting a show putting on a show to convince everyone that you're special, that you're holy, that you're a good person, that you deserve honor, that you're worth it. And God's name is being blasphemed because of, because of hypocrisy. What are you doing? You're stealing God's glory for yourself. If you pull the show off, once you get found out, you just destroy everything. You just, just destroy everything like a clumsy thief. You know what God says? Isaiah forty eleven. I will not give my glory to another. Stop trying to rob an infinitely holy God. You won't one number one, you won't win. Number two, there are innumerable blessings in Christ. Stop lying about your own righteousness. There are innumerable blessings in Christ. If you have any righteousness at all, it comes not from you, but from Christ. Put away hypocrisy, repent, believe in Christ. There are infinite blessings in Christ. 
So number one, repent. Number two, believe the gospel. Kind of hinted at it just a second ago. Oops. Breaking the script. In Matthew 20, 23, 26, Jesus says, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. The inside needs to be clean. All sin needs forgiveness from God, and you need an inner transformation. When I quoted Romans 7, Paul, at the end of the account of his war with his old self, he asks, he asks who will deliver me from this body of death? But I stop the quotation short. He immediately answers his, his question, and he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ sets you free from bondage to sin. His death on the cross atones for all our sin, all our hypocrisy, and there is mercy and forgiveness in Christ. He was resurrected. He, was, he is not dead. And because of that, we too have the promise from God of our own resurrection from the dead. And on that day, not only will we be spiritually clean from sin, our bodies will also be made new. We will have new, perfect bodies, free from sin's corrupting influence. Sin's corrupting presence will be gone forever. Hypocrisy will be gone forever. First John 2 one says, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So number two, come through Christ. Be born again. And number three, call out hypocrisy. This is what Jesus did. This is what Paul did in Galatians chapter 2. Christians need to call out hypocrisy in the church. Sin needs to be dealt with in the church. Now, this calling out is to be done in love and in truth, without malice and slander, without bitterness. It needs to be done after the pattern that Jesus set for us in Matthew 18, 15 and following. But it needs to be done. Why? 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, that being God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. For the sake of salvation and for the fellowship of the church, call out sin. For the sake of fellowship with your fellow believers, call out sin. You cannot walk in light and in fellowship while lying to other Christians. Like, this just doesn't work. You can't lie to someone and expect to have fellowship with them. Can't expect to have a relationship with them. Can't expect to grow. Calling out sin, especially hypocrisy, is hard. It is not fun. It is painful for everybody. But if you're to have any unity in Christ any unity in the fellowship that has to be done. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusky Bible. To stay up to date with all things parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.